Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store, just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks for visiting. Hope the Word of God speaks to you today. While the children are going downstairs, adults, we are in our last week. I make sure I'm there. I, I remember it this week. I turned my microphone on. I'm getting better. Um, we are in our last week of the misquoted series, the series which we take a look at things which culture says, culture teaches about the Word of God and about Christianity and about what we know to be true about God. Um, we are taking the things that we have learned and laying them against Scripture and saying, is this really what God's Word says? Is this really who God says He is? And uh, what we're finding is a lot of the things that we've adopted into the way that we speak and the things that we believe aren't necessarily uh, true. Um, and so as we've looked through this series, we've looked at nobody likes to be misquoted, especially God. That's something that we've said every single week. And that his word is absolute truth, 100% truth, 100% of the time contained in this book called the Bible. We believe it's from God to us. And so this series misquoted has been to challenge us um, uh, and to challenge the way that we speak. Are we speaking the truth to people or are we misquoting God accidentally? Um, so we've looked at a bunch of things, uh, but today we are going to, um, we're going to talk about one of the ones that we say all the time. Uh, and is said to us all the time, and we probably say to our children without thinking about what we're actually saying, but have you ever uh, been in a conversation with someone and you're, you're, you're facing a dilemma of some kind and you're not exactly sure what to do, and so someone you know, puts their arm around your shoulder or sits across the coffee table from you and says, you want to know what? Just follow your heart. Just... <laughs> It'll click on in a moment. Uh, I'm on, but I don't know. We'll figure it out. The, the just follow your heart. There was supposed to be dramatic reveal there. There you go. <laughs> follow your heart. Have anybody ever been told just to follow their heart? Yeah? Has any of you told someone to follow their heart? Okay? Yeah, okay, like, same here. So uh, we're all in the same boat together, okay? So as I was learning about this, I was like, oh no, <laughs> I have done some bad thing here. Uh, because the term follow your heart, well, culture tells us is, hey, this is great. Follow your heart. It's a good piece of advice. You don't Google follow your heart because there are like a sickeningly number amount of memes that go follow your heart because, you know, insert, you know, it will be path to goodness and it will make you happy and all of these things. And I think that's going to lead people somewhere they don't want to go and they just don't realize it. So um, when we look at this idea of follow your heart, it's something that we say to our friends and our kids when a tough decision is at hand and it's meant to be encouraging, right? Well, just, just follow your heart. Um, but it teaches us something false. And here's the things that it teaches us. Hopefully my slides work here. It teaches us that our hearts can be trusted to make the right choice. Right? So when you're telling someone, just follow your heart, you're teaching them that their heart can be trusted to make the right choice. Can your heart be trusted to make the right choice? Don't answer this out loud. Okay? Just think about your own life and your own heart and the choices that you've made when someone said, follow your heart. Um, but what it does is, hey, your heart can be trusted to make the right choice. It also teaches us everything we need is found within us. 
everything that we need to make a decision, everything that we need to make a, a course change or um, should we go this way, should we go that way, is found within us. We don't need to look anywhere else because if we follow our heart, it's within us, then we have everything we need within us to go the right direction, right? Because it's within us, we can be trusted to make the right choice. The third thing that this teaches us, um, well, it's less of a teaching and more of a, uh, you know, vague permission, okay? Follow your heart is vague permission to just go ahead and do what you want to do anyway. Just follow your heart, whatever. Blanket permission to do what you were gonna do anyway. Because after all, your heart's not going to lead you astray because you have everything within you to decide to make the right choice. And this is what we are saying when we say, just follow your heart. You've got a really tough choice. You don't know if you should move there or stay here. You don't know if you should take out a loan or if you should work harder. You don't know if you should go to this college or that college. Just follow your heart. What's your heart telling you? Where is your heart leading you to go? Trust your heart. And we say these things all the time, and they're rather quite dangerous. It's a dangerous piece of advice because it sends us on a path away from God rather than towards God. So if you are at a starting point and you have a decision to make and you decide to follow your heart, you are slowly, if God is here, you are slowly going to work your way away from the word of God and what God's desire for your life is. Um, following your heart leads away from God. And, and in that, it leads us to three things. And I just want to go over these three things with us this morning, okay? Following your heart leads to confusion. Following your heart leads to confusion. Now, you might be rebelling against this because maybe you actually believe that your heart can make the right choices. Just bear with me, okay? Following your heart can lead to confusion. We are, if we follow our heart, consistently, daily, momentarily, at the whim of our changing emotions, our changing culture, our changing relationships, and the enemy's schemes. If we follow our heart, we are this way one moment and that way another moment, and we got ADHD of the heart, okay? And so when something looks good and appealing, we go for it. When it makes us feel happy, we go for it. When we uh, want to avoid something, we go for the other thing. So when we follow our heart, we're constantly being changed by our emotions. We're constantly being changed by the pull of the relationships around us. The company that we keep can influence us to go one direction or another. Culture. If we follow our heart, we might not want to be in trouble with culture, so we're going to go the easy route rather than the godly, holy route. When we follow our heart, it's going to lead to confusion. What should I do in certain situations? So the Word of God tells us this. Hebrews 13, 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. So the word of God is saying, listen, there are going to be strange and diverse teachings in the world. There are going to be an abundant number of things that are going to be available for you to choose to follow. But what is good for your heart is to be strengthened by grace. And grace, true grace, only exists at the foot of the cross of Jesus. That is where it overflows to us from the Lord. So we are to strengthen our heart by grace, not to be led away by strange teachings. In Ephesians 14, it says this, Don't be children any longer, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, or by craftiness. The word of God says, listen, there's a level of maturity that I'd like you to attain, God says to your heart, but it is to recognize that the world offers you a whole bunch of stuff that if you follow your heart, you'll chase after. 
But I don't want you to chase after those things. I want you to be rooted in something a little more significant, permanent, true, life-giving, full of grace. We are not to be found in confusion. We are to be found in the word of God, which gives us all truth. So no more of these things for our heart is what God says. Um, if you follow your heart, it will also lead to idolatry. And we think, you know, we're not idol worshipers. We don't have some sort of statue up here. We don't worship icons. We don't do these kinds of things. We are not idol worshipers. But if you follow your heart, it will lead you to the path of idolatry in such a sneaky way. In the ways that we don't realize until we look at God's word and go, oh no. I really have been idolatrous because if you follow your heart, we are ultimately worshiping the created, that's us, the created's will, not the creator's desires for our life. So if we say, I will go where my heart wants it to go, I am choosing my will over God's will, I am elevating myself and my own desires above God's desires, and that is idolatry at the base level. The times that I choose myself over God's will for my life are times that I have fallen prey to idolatry. Um, Romans will tell us this. Let me pop it open here. Uh, Romans chapter 1, 21 through 25, and I've got a portion of it up here. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they actually became fools, and they exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, dishonoring their bodies among themselves, because they had exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the, creator, the cre creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Romans wants us to know that in our default nature, if we follow our heart, we will exchange truth for lie, and we will worship the created rather than the creator. Because it's tangible, because it's close, because it makes it feel good, because it's us. And so we have exchanged something, truth for a lie, and that's idolatry. And we don't want to do that. God is calling us to something greater than that. Isaiah 44 speaks to this as well. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? A deluded heart has led him astray. Isaiah, if you read earlier in this chapter, it's about um, who should I worship? Should I worship this block of stone? Or should I worship this block of wood? Should we create an idol to fall down and worship? We don't know what we should do. I should fall down before a block of wood. Isaiah says a, delay, a deluded heart has led him astray. You just don't know what to worship anymore. If you worship this and then that and then money and then pride and then yourself and then your will and then your relationship status and all of these things that you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth with, eventually your heart is so confused and so deluded you don't know what to worship anymore. You'll take anything, anything that sounds good, that sounds solid, and you will follow that if by some hope it might lead you out of this confusion that you have entered yourself into. A deluded heart will lead, or uh, following your heart will lead to confusion. Following your heart will lead to idolatry. Um, but probably most dangerous of all, and though idolatry falls under this category, following your heart will lead to sin. Following your heart will lead to sin. Not it might lead to sin. Following your heart will lead to sin. When we are the center of our lives, following our own will, um, when we are um, doing something 
uh, that pleases us. And we talked about God doesn't want you to be happy, right? He wants you to be holy. There's a difference. Um, when we are the center of our life, we embrace sin when it feels good, even if it's wrong, even if it's harmful, and even if it's dangerous. When we follow our heart, we are going to embrace sinful things even when they're wrong, harmful, or dangerous. Genesis 6. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great, and that every intention, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil always. How does that make you feel about your life? Right? God's looking down from heaven and saying, ugh, humanity's got a sinful heart. Now, he's working to remedy that, right? And he has enacted a great promise to us through Jesus Christ, his son, to remedy our sin-sick hearts. But when he looks at the world and he says, oh, every intention of the thoughts of man is inclined towards evil always. Our default status, if we follow our heart, is inclined towards evil. That is our default status. Jeremiah 17 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It changes this day to that day. It is deceitful and will lead you astray. Jeremiah 17, 9. Um, Jesus tells us himself in the Gospels that from the heart come all evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, false witness, slander, every sin that you can think of. Jesus is saying, listen, it, it starts here. This is where it starts. And he went to such extremes to say that if you so much as looked at a woman that you weren't married to with an intent of lust in your mind, you have already committed adultery with her where? In your heart, right? Because um, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. And it will lead you astray if you follow your heart. Um, so sin happens in the heart first. And then if followed, um, it will just lead to action. Um, you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Um, Adam and Eve, Eve was looking at the fruit of the tree and she wasn't supposed to do it. But she listened to culture, the enemy who was hanging out in the garden with her. And, uh, and he said, you should taste it, it's good. And her heart began to, scripture tells us, desire it. Because it looked good. And when her heart desired it and she followed her heart, she took the fruit from the tree and sin entered the world. The same thing for our lives as well. Our hearts desire things that are not beneficial for us. So, what should we do then? What should we do if we should not follow our heart? Anybody? Right? Yeah, Holy Spirit. We should, this is the, this is, I love it when I get to say it's the Sunday school answer. We should follow? Jesus. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, we should follow Jesus. Let me phrase it this way. You should not focus on following your heart. You should focus your heart on following Jesus. Okay? You should not focus on following your heart because it will lead to all of the things we just talked about. You should instead focus your heart on following Jesus. God gave us a mind and a will and a desire and emotions and he said, those things are not to run your life. You should direct all of those things towards my direction, and I will give you wisdom through the Holy Spirit, right? So, here are the things that we know from Scripture to do with our heart. We are not to follow it. We're to focus it on following Jesus. And in order to do that, we need to guard our hearts. 
We need to guard our hearts. You need to, like the old way of saying it, you need to put a hedge of protection, okay, around your heart. You need to guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart with all diligence. From it flows the spring of life. You know who wrote this? Um, this guy who was so wise, right? He asked God not for riches, but for wisdom. And God said, dude, I can get behind this. Gave the guy so much wisdom. And with that wisdom came the blessing of a bunch of other things like wealth and the kingdom and so forth and so on. But he sampled and tried everything. He had uh, more women than he could fathom. He had more wealth than he knew what to do with. He had all the things at his fingertip. And after having experienced all of life and following his heart, he came to realize, above all else, guard your heart with all diligence. Because from it flow the springs of life. Now I want to just dissect this just for a moment. Okay? Um, above all else means what? Above all else. It's the top priority. Meaning, of all the things that you focus on in your life, of all of the ways that you pay attention to the things that are going on in the world, of all of the time and energy you spend doing stuff in your life, above all else, guard your heart with diligence. He says it is the most important thing you can do is to guard your heart. Why? Because from it flow the springs of life. From it flow everything else that your life is going to, um, everything, everything, your words, your hearts, your intentions, your desires, everything flows from your heart. So if you do not guard your heart, its default nature will lead you to confusion and idolatry and sin. But if you guard your heart above all else, with all diligence from your life will flow springs of grace because the Holy Spirit will reside and bless that. Um, so we need to guard our heart. But in beyond guarding our heart, we need to direct our heart. Our heart will run willy-nilly all over the place. It will just go this way and that way. It is like a toddler on lots of sugar. Your heart will embrace anything and everything that feels right. You must guard that, but you must also direct it. Okay, Parents, do you just let your children eat whatever they want and run amok and you know, hope they turn out okay in the end? Sure. <laughs> you set some guardrails for them, right? These are the right places you should go. These are the places you should not go. You direct them to things that are right and good and holy. You direct them to their homework. You direct them to good friendships. You direct them to the word of God, I hope, right? You direct them to attend Sunday school, I hope, right? You direct them to things that are good for their life. But we need to direct their hearts, not just their feet, right? We need to direct their hearts, not just their hands. We need to direct their hearts, not their minds. All of these things need to be focused on God. We need to direct their hearts. Psalm 119. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, right? Because if we don't, then our heart will lead us to sin. But if we store up God's word in our heart, we direct our heart towards God's revealed word of himself, then when we direct our heart to him and we store it up, his, our, his word in our heart, we are um, doing it so that we will not sin against God. When we know who he is and his desire for our life and his abundant grace and mercy, we direct our hearts towards that. Sin is going to look far less appealing. 
and our heart is going to have a far more solid something to stand on. Um, Hebrews says this about directing our heart. I'm going to read the whole thing. This is an excerpt. For the word of God is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. That's a, that's a pretty minute division there. It pierces between joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So we will give an account of our heart one day. One day the Lord will lay bare our heart before him, and he will ask us to give an account for it. We are to direct our heart to the living and active word of God, which will work its way into the most narrowest places. The places that we thought we'd sheltered from him, the places that we thought we'd hidden from everybody else, and the word of God, if we direct our heart to it, will work its way in and reveal the areas that do not match God's character that he has designed for our life, and then we'll plant seeds that will blossom with God's grace, these beautiful characteristics of someone who loves God and pursues him with all of their heart. We are to direct our hearts towards God evaluating our heart against the word of God because the word of God is the immovable standard of grace and holiness. So if we want to match our heart up against something, it is God's character. And we know his character by reading his word. And if we don't read his word, we're not quite sure what he says. And that's how we end up in a misquoted series in the first place because we aren't really sure what God's word says. We need to guard our heart above all else. We need to direct it to the word of God. But the most important thing we can do in those two things is to submit our heart. It is one thing to guard our heart against influences that we don't like. Even secular, unbelieving, non-Christians can guard their heart from things they think are immoral. Okay? It is another thing to direct our heart to the word of God, to read it, okay? to acknowledge it, to even memorize it. But there are really, really, really biblically proficient atheists who do not believe this but could probably quote it better than I could. Okay? It is a completely other level to submit your heart to this. It's not enough to know it. You must submit to it. Um, Jeremiah 24-7 I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, and they will return to me with the fullness of their heart, right? There's a theme going on today, right? God's word has heart all over it, okay? Um, we must submit our hearts. Submitting our hearts to God puts us in right relationship with him. When we are not submitting our hearts to God, we are in active rebellion against the God of the universe, Okay? When we have not submitted our heart to God and his word and his will for our life, we are in active rebellion against the one who made you. We must be under his authority, not fighting against it. We must be um, seeking to submit ourselves to his authority rather than following our heart and overthrowing his authority. Now, we're not really overthrowing God because we're not that powerful, but in our own free will, we can choose not to follow. And God 
Well, that just breaks his heart. Because there is so much more that he has in store for us than we know about. And if we will just submit to his will and his word, life is just so much better that way. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. All right, pastor, I love this verse because I have always wanted a Ferrari, and I've always wanted to win that Monopoly game at Safeway. And so if I just, right, if I just delight myself in God, God, I love you, and I'm trusting you that you are going to give me a million dollars and the car that I've always wanted and, you know, all these things, right? That's what this verse says, right? No, thank you for being a biblically literate people. Um, preachers will preach that if you just trust God and ask him to release his bounty upon your life, you can get whatever you want. That's name it and claim it and not true. This verse has nothing to do with what we want. But it says the desires of our heart. Well, it says he will give you desires of your heart. This is like a heart transplant, folks. This is, you had desires that led you towards confusion and idolatry and sin and God looks at you and says if you'll just submit your heart to me I will take those sinful desires and I will give you new desires I will give you holy desires I will give you righteous desires I will give you good desires pleasing desires that don't just make us right in vertical relationship but will make you right in horizontal relationship with people around you I will literally heart transplant you new desires. I will give you the desires of your heart. Does that make sense? Totally different concept, okay, than the way that it is preached at times. Now, if you let him, if you submit your heart to him, he will enable you to desire holy, righteous things. He will enable you to say, I see that sin, and I see that not sin path, and I desire not sin now more than I desire sin. That is what he can enable you to do. In our denomination, we call this heart holiness or sanctification. And it's a work of God where we actively say, God, I invite you into my heart. I will submit my heart to you. And this goes beyond salvation because we can follow God in salvation and be safe from our sins, but still choose to do a whole lot of lifestyle that is against God's will for our life. But at some point in our life, we go, I just want God to be totally over me, totally submitted to his word. And he will come in and clear house for you and enable you to live a life that is holy and pleasing. Um, the last verse in this submission thing is in Ezekiel. I love Ezekiel. I think Ezekiel's just super great. If you've not read the book of Ezekiel, read it. Um, super good stuff in there. Ezekiel 36 says this, and it's 25 through 27. I'm going to read the whole uh, 25 through 27 portions of it up here. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean from all of your uncleanness. And from all of your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God is saying, listen, I want you to be holy. And it's a little daunting. But guess what? I will literally heart transplant for you, give you new desires, give you a completely new internal nature, and I will enable you to live a life that is holy and pleasing. Now, the reality is that we can look at our hearts through prayer. Um, we can look at ourselves in the mirror and we can honestly evaluate, yeah, I'm an okay person. I've got some stuff that's not great, but at least I'm not as bad as 
so-and-so, right? At least I'm not like such-and-such. But if we're really going to be honest with ourselves, and if we just take a moment and think about our life and the choices that we make and the ways that we think and the habits that we have and the things that we do, um, there are probably some areas that we have not submitted to God. There are probably some areas that we are fighting against him. There are probably some areas which we really, frankly, don't want him to touch with a 10-foot pole because we're comfortable with them. We like them, and they serve us well. But Scripture tells us that Jesus knows our hearts better than we know our hearts. And so if we can identify sinful areas, how many more so can God find in our hearts if we give him permission to look, to unearth a little bit, to dig around a little bit, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, He will return one day and disclose the purpose of our hearts. Any of you want Jesus to stand right next to me this morning and publicly disclose the purpose of your heart as it is right now? I don't want that for me. There's some work God has to do with me. I've got a long life of submitting to God ahead of me that will refine in me Christ-likeness. But the reality is, if we're going, I don't know if I want Jesus to disclose the purpose of my heart, then there is work that we can do by saying, I will submit to God to allow him to do work in my heart. What would be disclosed from your heart today? What does your heart reveal today about your walk with God, about your relationship with him? Have you guard your heart above all else? Have you directed your heart to the word? Have you trusted and submitted your heart to God. Um, This morning, perhaps the best way we can close the sermon is simply to invite God to do a work in our heart, right? So if we talk about God's able to do these things, then the next thing that we should do is actually ask God to do something in our life. It's not enough, right, to intellectually know it, but to put things into practice. I can learn all I want about the Bible, but if I never once act on what I'm learning, then I'm just a guy who has head knowledge, but no heart knowledge. And I want more heart knowledge of God, and maybe a little less head knowledge, because head knowledge can sometimes get very confusing, but heart knowledge is directly from God to me. Head knowledge gets mixed up with my own words. I want God's knowledge, which will influence head knowledge. But it has to start here. So perhaps um, God needs to do a redemptive, saving work in your life today. Perhaps you've known about God, but you've not followed God. You've learned about God your whole life, maybe, but you've never submitted your life to God saying, man, I need God to forgive me of my sins. I'm not right with God. The things that God's word says and the way that I live are very far apart, and there is a huge gap, and I want to close that gap. And I need Jesus to do that. I need Jesus to work in my heart today so I know I am forgiven. I know I'm right with God. I know God loves me. And that's a work that God can do today. But maybe he needs to do a revealing work, right? So maybe you're going, uh, I don't know, uh, Pastor, if there's anything in my heart that I think I'm okay. Like, things seem to be going right. I don't know of any obvious things that are sticking out to me that uh, I, think I'm, I think I'm pretty close to sinless, Pastor. And we wouldn't say it like that, right? But when we go, no, I think I'm okay. I don't think God needs to reveal anything to me. Then we probably need to ask God to reveal something to us because there is always one step deeper we can go in our walk with God. So perhaps God needs to do a revealing work in your heart today. 
but maybe God needs to do a cleansing work in your heart today. You know exactly what it is that is in your heart that does not match the character and the will of God for your life. You know exactly what it is. You've been holding on to it for a while. You're not quite sure what to do about it. You kind of like it, but you know that it's bad. And that kind of tension is the Holy Spirit saying, come on, let me into this. Invite me into your world and your heart so that I can do work for you and for God together. So maybe God needs to come in, be invited by you to do a cleansing work, to loosen the grip of some of that sin on your heart. But again, God could do a purposeful work. Maybe you really are chugging along with God, and your daily prayer life is in such that you are asking him to reveal to you on a regular basis the areas that do not look like him, to purify your heart and to cleanse you and to give you um, what you need for the day. And so perhaps the work that God could do in your heart today is a purposeful work. God, where are you leaning my heart towards service? Where can I better this world for your kingdom? How can I serve you? What is the purpose that you have for my heart today? Right now, will you make me aware of the people in my world that I can minister to and serve and love and give? And why have you given me these resources and how can I use them? Give me your purpose for my heart and let me loose, God. Maybe that's what you are going to be praying about today. Or maybe your heart needs some steadfastness. Maybe... Life is just, right? And right now you can't think about purpose and the idea of your sin overwhelms you and you just need someone to kind of put their arm around you and just kind of give you some momentum to walk through this phase of life. God can give you steadfastness and endurance in your heart, but it starts with inviting him. God is not going to shove his way into your heart willy-nilly. He wants you to desire him, to love him like he loves you. And all he's looking for is a head nod, just a little eye flicker, just a little heart inclination, just a little, um, yeah, I think, I'm not sure, but if you, then I will. And God will take any bit of leaning in his direction to do the work that needs to be done. And if you don't know what work needs to be done in your heart this morning, that's okay. Scripture tells us that God knows our hearts better than we know our hearts. And he knows what we need more than we know what we need. So what we think we need might not actually be what we need. It might be what we want. And God is going to direct us another direction for our good and his glory and the good of mankind, right? And so if we are in submission to God, then, um, then it is so much better. So we need to invite God to do a work in our heart. I'm going to pray. Um, and the worship team is going to come up and lead us in a song. Uh, or two, and we're going to ask God to work in our heart in whatever way it needs to be, and then we'll sing some praises to the God who does those works. Lord, um, we've read a lot uh, of your scripture today. From start to finish, it seems like you have this idea that our hearts aren't naturally inclined towards you, and that since sin entered the world and we have been born into sin under the curse, we are naturally inclined towards evil. And we don't want to think about it that way, about our own hearts, because, God, we like to think the best about ourselves, but that's probably pride. And we should probably confess that sin as well. We want to see ourselves like you see us. When you enter Jerusalem, you look down from the Mount of Olives and you saw them like sheep without a shepherd. That's how I want to see myself this morning, Father. As someone who gets consistently tossed about and who is in desperate need of a Savior,
in desperate need of someone who's going to do work in my heart, in desperate need of someone to point out the areas that need to be cleaned up a little bit, in desperate need of someone to give a purpose to my heart, in desperate need of the endurance for the road that lies ahead of me. Lord, I don't know about everybody else, but I want you to do a work in my heart. I don't want to follow my heart. When I follow my heart, I tend to follow the will of people. And I fear man more than I fear you. And I don't want to live that way, Father. I want to follow you and not fear man. Would you do that work in my heart today, Father? Would you begin that work in me? And would you continue it for the rest of the days of my life? For everyone else, Father, who's along for my journey this morning, evidently, would you do work in their heart too? Would you listen to the little desires that they've got for relationship for you, for steadfastness, for purpose, for whatever it is? And would you just go and be in the hearts of the people this morning? Would you take up residence in us in a way that maybe we haven't experienced before or in a long time? give you just a few minutes, maybe 30 seconds, just to talk with God this morning, to tell him the areas in which you need help, and the areas in which you have no idea. Just lay your heart open before God now, let him speak to you. gap with us and enable us to follow through with you. So with eyes closed and heads bowed, if you are asking God today to do a work in your heart of any kind, large or small, unknown or very known, you just put your hand in the air so I can see and pray for you. Yeah, I see those hands. Thank you. All right, Lord, um, well, you're working, and I'm really, really excited when I get to see you work. But Lord, this is the moment that we submit, and as we leave this room, it's going to get harder to live that way. So I pray, Father, that you would, right now, for those folks who raised their hands, and maybe those that didn't but wanted to, to take out our heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh, guard it with your Holy Spirit, and enable us to live a life that pleases you. To break the oppression of sin. To give us purpose in your kingdom. To call us to ministry. To call us to serve. To enable us to be better spouses and parents and co-workers. And just people in a community that needs Jesus so badly. We love you more than we love our own lives, Father. It is you that have given us life and we will submit our hearts to you consistently day in and day out knelt before your throne and we give you all the glory for what you're doing right now in this room and what you will continue to do in our lives as we move from this place we pray this in the strong name of Jesus whose heart was broken so that ours could be made whole Amen